Welcome back to another episode of The Serial Killer. I'm your host, Jeremy Skaggs, and this week, I'm not even going to try to say the guy's first name. It's uh, Kotal Ocampo. So the rest of this episode, he is going to be being, uh, known as Ocampo. Uh, he was born March 20th, 1988, and died November 28th, 2013, at the age of 25. Six victims... Uh, they were not confirmed. He died before trial. His crime span was 2011 to 2012 in California. He was caught January 12, 2012. Ocampo, we just said that, was born in Mexico City. He was the eldest in a family of three children. Shortly after his birth, his family immigrated to the United States, settling in Yorba Linda, California. His father, a qualified lawyer, found a job as a vacuum repairman and rented an apartment. After living in the state for 12 years, Ocampo and the rest of the family went through all the legal procedures and obtained American citizenship. Ocampo attended Esperanza High School in Anaheim, graduating in 2006. During his school years, he was known as a friendly and approachable guy, thanks to which he befriended many and was popular among his peers. The September 11 attacks had a strong effect on the formation of his personality as a result of which, in subsequent years, he became interested in politics, supporting the Republican Party and George W. Bush's foreign policies. During his time at Esperanza High School, he was severely bullied for his height. He was jumped by several promising privileged teens for the lack of length of his genes. He was tormented and called high waters. After leaving school, Ocampo, along with several school friends, enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. Once again, military. Serial killer. Gotta start looking into that. Since July 2006, he served at Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, where he was attached to the 15th Regiment of the Medical and Sanitary Battalion. In 2008, he was deployed with and attached to the CLR-15 1st Supply Battalion to Iraq, but did not partake in combat. His main responsibility was to provide transportation of water and fuel to the base of TQ. He spent eight months in the country, for which he was subsequently awarded the Standard Deployment Awards, Iraq Campaign Medal, Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, and the National Defense Service Medal. While in Iraq, Ocampo pointed his weapon at an ally and received a non-judicial punishment, subsequently being demoted to private first class, reduction in pay, and was assigned extra duty assignments, which included filling sandbags. After returning to the U.S., he was sent back to Camp Pendleton, where he experienced a traumatic brain injury when the latch of his seven-ton failed to lock and slammed into the back of his head. During this period, as a result of Great Recession, he was over-underqualified for work. He applied at several locations, including McDonald's. Eventually, he was forced to work in landscaping. Due to material difficulties, the family lost their home. Ocampo's father's drug addiction caused his mother to divorce him, taking Ocampo and two of his siblings to stay with some relatives. July 2010, Ocampo was honorably discharged and returned to Yorba Linda. Not long after returning from Iraq, he began to show signs of PTSD and exhibited deviant behavior. A serious factor for the deterioration of his mental state was the death of his close friend, Patino, 
who died on June 22nd, 2010, while fighting in Afghanistan's Hem- Helmand province. Following his death, Ocampo became depressed, depressed, suffered from frequent headaches, hand tremors, and alcohol abuse. Over the next two years, unable to adapt to normal life and hold a job, he depended on income from relatives and refused treatment from psychiatrics. Psychiatrists. Ocampo felt he was unqualified to be dis- diagnosed for PTSD because he did not fight in combat. By the end of 2011, his mental state had deteriorated sharply to the point of developing hypochondria and showing signs of clinical delirium. (laughs) Murders. October 25, 2011, Ocampo came to the doorstep of his former classmate, 24-year-old Eder Herrera, where his mother, 53-year-old Raquel Estrada and her older and his older brother, 34-year-old Juan, were at the time. During the visit, Ocampo unexpectedly lunged at them, stabbing both Raquel and Juan repeatedly 30 and 60 times, respectively. The neighbors witnessed the murders, providing police with the description of the offender's appearance and his clothing. Because Herrera and Ocampo were similar in appearance, Herrera was arrested despite denying any involvement in the deaths of his mother and brother. He was still considered the main suspect, and it was revealed that shortly before the crime, he had gotten into an argument with them. On the evening of December 21st, Ocampo was loitering around a parking lot of his shopping center in Placentia, where he proceeded to attack a 53-year-old homeless man named James McGilvery, whom he stabbed to death. The event was recorded on CCTV and the police managed to release an identikit of the suspect. A week later, Ocampo committed another murder. The victim was 42-year-old vagrant Lloyd Jim Middow, who lived under a bridge crossing the Santa Ana River in Anaheim. Middow, like McGilvery, was fatally stabbed multiple times with a knife. Two days later, Ocampo killed 57-year-old Paulus Smith stabbing him more than 60 times and then discarding the body onto a parking lot of a public library in Yorba Linda. By the time the fourth murder, the news about homeless men being killed in Orange County spread in the Los Angeles media, leading police in several cities to enforce heavy-duty patrols around the homeless shelters and other areas where vagrants were known to reside. In early January 2012, several newspapers published a series of articles about the investigation into the killings. One by the Los Angeles Times interviewed a 64-year-old Vietnam War veteran named John Barry, who spoke extremely negatively about the perpetrator and urged any uh, potential victims to be as careful as they can in order to avoid being the next victim. As a result, Ocampo traveled to Anaheim and began stalking Barry, who notified police on January 12th. He was asked to move into a homeless shelter, but refused. The following evening, Ocampo found Barry near a Carl's Jr. in Anaheim. Upon locating him, he attacked and stabbed Barry in front of dozens of witnesses, fleeing on foot after killing him. And I just love how people stand around and don't even bother to try to help. Yes, somebody's being stabbed, but with dozens of witnesses, a couple people could have took this little dude and beat the shit out of him. But yet you sit there and watch somebody kill somebody else. 
After killing Barry, a number of witnesses to the crime pursued Ocampo while others called the police. Ocampo tried to dispose of his bloody clothing but was arrested by the authorities about several hundred meters away from the crime scene without incident. When he was searched, a stainless steel knife with a seven-inch long blade was seized from him. Ocampo was taken to the police station where he was charged with killing Barry based upon available evidence. When he was investigated farther, it was found out the murder weapon matched the use of the killings of the three homeless men, and Ocampo was additionally charged with their deaths as well. At a press conference, the Orange County District Attorney Tony Rakalakalakalas confirmed that he would seek the death penalty for Ocampo in his upcoming trial. On February 4th, 2012, after analyzing bloodstains found on his shoes, Ocampo was linked to the Estrada Herrera murders. He was charged with the double murder, and Herrera, who by then had been detained for three months in the county jail, was released. His lawyer claimed... His lawyer claimed was mentally unfit to stand trial. Ocampo's trial was scheduled to begin January 17, 2014. On the evening of November 27, 2013, Ocampo apparently killed himself by ingesting a cleaning product, Ajax, and another piece of shit off the street. My sympathies go out to the families of all these victims and uh, another piece of crap off the street, as I said before. Uh, we are on Twitter at the Serial Kill 11. Give us a follow. I follow back our newest follower, Anthony Latimer, at Anthony Latimer on Twitter. Thank you so much for following. Uh, guys, I'm thinking about starting another podcast. Uh, this one is not going to be about serial killers. It's actually going to be kind of like Jeremy in the morning, kind of like a radio show. I have linked up with Spotify off of my anchor account. And if I do this podcast, I can actually play music. So that being said, I'm going to throw my band on there too. Yes, I'm a singer in a band. The band is Cryptic Memoirs. C-R-Y-P-T-I-C. M-E-M-O-I-R-S, Cryptic Memoirs. Check us out. We're on Spotify. It's a goth rock metal band. Um, I think you guys will like it. But uh, if I do this Jeremy in the Morning type radio show podcast, I'm going to be able to play music and I'm going to talk about funny events in the news and sports and all that stuff. It's just going to be a good, funny podcast almost like a morning show i'll probably even make my own commercials and put them in there and stuff like that i think it'll be fun i'm gonna try to do that and put it out once a week also and i'll let you guys know when that's going to be available um and uh i would hope that you guys that listen to this might go over and try that and see what you think i know if you're listening to a true crime podcast and that's what you guys are into but obviously there's enough of you listening to me that like the show and maybe actually like me because I've looked at my statistics today and I have almost 76,000 listens on this podcast since I started it. And I want to thank you all so much. I've never had 76,000 of anything. So you guys are awesome. Y'all rock. I love you. And we will be back next week for episode 11 of season five of The Serial Killer. Until then... Take care, and I'll let you know about that new podcast. All right. Bye-bye.